Thank you. Thank you. Take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 20. We'll begin in verse 1, read through verse 6. As we're making our uh, preaching series through the book of Acts, we come to this 20th chapter to crack it open today. Uh, we'll look back into chapter 19 for a little context in a moment, but uh, we've come to chapter 20. Paul's in his third missionary journey. We're finding him after having gone through Ephesus, and then he comes to uh, a transitional time. Uh, after a chaotic moment and a message that I've entitled, After the Conflict. What comes after conflict? And we all have conflict. You, some of you are walking right in the middle of it right now. Uh, others are headed into it, some coming out of it. But we have conflict. It, it just comes uh, in our life. And we find Paul in Acts 20, beginning in verse 1, you find the text. You follow along as I read because this now is the word of our great God. After the uproar had ceased, there it is, after the conflict, after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he went to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days. And there we stayed seven days. After the conflict, Jesus prophesied to us. John wrote it in John's Gospel 16 and 33. That in this world you will have thalipsis, tribulation. That word thalipsis means to squeeze, tribulation is to squeeze down when stress and difficulty is it's, it's, it's just like bearing down in this world you will have philipsis you you will have tribulation now that's not the great tribu tribulation that's the hey magala philipsis but we all walk through tribulation but be of good cheer jesus said for i have overcome the world. In this world, tribulation. But rejoice. I've overcome this world that you're living in. Paul had just walked through chaos. What had happened? Well, he walked in uh, to the city of Ephesus, and there he preached what these wonderful young people were singing about. Not this last song, but the song right uh, before the offering time, before Dwayne came, that song before that, uh, they were singing uh, about things that are made of hands that try to take the place of God's glory. Those are idols in our life. Well, Paul came in and he said to the people in Ephesus, what's made of your hand is not God. Those are idols. God is not seen. He is in the great beyond. He became flesh in Christ, but uh, he is of spirit, and he is not of uh, the silver 
the trinkets that you are making. And Demetrius, who was a silver maker in Ephesus, said, we've got trouble on our hands. This preacher said that what we're making with our hands is not God. We're going to go broke. We'll not be able to sell anything. Hmm. And they caused a great uproar in the city. You find it in verse 29 that confusion reigned and they attacked Paul and all his companions and came against them. But thank God in verse 35 of chapter 19 that the town clerk, I don't know who this guy is, but the clerk rose to say, hey, 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 come to your senses. We cannot have a riot here. Let's don't be riotous. If these people have broken the law, we'll, we'll bring them to justice. But if they're merely preaching, teaching, no law that we can come against them with that. And he dismissed, verse 41, he, he brought this disorderly gathering together and he dismissed the assembly. So Paul had passed through the storm, through the chaos, through the difficulty, and now verse 20, after the uproar, he sends for the disciples and he walks forward. What do you do after the chaos, after the uproar? How do you respond? Well, I want to show you three responses that Paul made and three responses you should have in your life, and then we'll make an appeal and ask you to come from the top row and down the sides and on this ground floor to fall before the Lord and come and say, Father, I give you my life this day. Come put your hand in my hand, give God your heart, and see what the Lord might do with you. What was the response of Paul to this chaos after the storm passed by? Look at it. Number one was what I call the response of exhortation. Look in verses one and two. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted, there's our word, parakaleo. After he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he went on to leave for Macedonia. In verse 2, and when he had gone through those districts and had given them much parakaleo, much exhortation, then he came to Greece. That word parakaleo, two words put together, para, alongside, like a paramedic, like a paralegal. Not a lawyer, but comes beside the lawyer. Not a doctor, but comes beside the doctor. Paramedic, paralegal. This is parakaleo. The word kaleo is called, called alongside of. Paul comes and, and he is alongside of them. And that word to exhort, uh, as he comes beside them, he gives comfort. He gives encouragement. He, some people translate this word urge. <laughs> to urge you on. To, to push you on. To exhort. It's one of the seven spiritual gifts listed in Romans 12. The gift of prophecy, gift of service, mercy, giving, teaching. The gift of exhortation, of parakaleo. It's the gift I have. It's my predominant spiritual gift. It's, I am an urger. I, I am an encourager. I am a comforter. I, I, I am a pusher. I, I am... Uh, to say, keep with it. When my son was in law school, I sent him one thing to put up on his uh, study bin, and he kept it there all three years. It was just one word, persist, and he kept it there. I saw it when we went to clean out his uh, study place. He had my note that was there, just said persist. I signed many notes that way to many people, just one word, persist, exclamation point, go, 
stay. That was my exhortation to him. I, I was urging. I was comforting. Well, dear friend, when you walk through the storm and come to the other side, you need exhortation. And you will not get it laying out of church. You won't get it by yourself. You need an exhorter in your life. That's why you ought to be around God's people. Not just here, but in a small group. Not just in a small group, but, but in other places. You need this exhortation. How do we exhort? Well, 2 Timothy 4, 2 says we do it with patience and instruction. Preach the word. Be ready in season. Not season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience. My mother was an exhorter without patience. I don't know about your mama, but when she exhorted me, she expected it right now. Not, let's think about this and see if we can't get, no, no, no. Well, exhortation must be patient because people have to weigh some things. So we exhort with patience and instruction. Titus 1 in verse 9 says that this exhortation must be with sound doctrine. It must, we must exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. That's why you have to come to the Word of God. You get to be a Bible Christian. You come to the Word. And there, the exhortation comes out of sound doctrine. And Titus 2.15 says that we not only exhort, but we also reprove with all authority. There is a time for this exhortation uh, to reprove us and say, no, that is not right. You must not go that way. There is a better way to go. Reproving, and that comes in our life. We all need exhortation. Amen? It's why we come to church. It's why we're with other Christians. It's why we hang out with uh, the right kind of people, and they exhort us, and we exhort them. You know, if you're always giving and never receiving, you can get weary. I am an exhorter, but I also need to be exhorted. Yesterday, I was in my quiet time, and uh, I had not planned to come to the next level worship. I'd been very busy, funerals, 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 and another one tomorrow. Been chaotic, and you know, I had to be here for the afternoon or lunchtime with our uh, widows and all that was going on there. But I, I just felt an urge in my spirit. If God said, if you're going to be obedient, you need to go to next level worship gathering this morning for a little while. I said, well. So I got up, dusted off, drove down here and walked in. They were singing, this group here behind me, man. We, we had church. I said, well, that's good. And then Dave Edwards got, I'd not seen Dave Edwards. I don't know how long. He used to be with Jay Strack way back when I knew him. He was a youth leader. He's like me. He's not a youth leader anymore. He's an old man. I looked at Dave and I said, what in the world? I, didn't even, I just hadn't seen him in so long. And he was the speaker for the first part of the session. And man, he stood up. And he began to exhort. I, I, it was not for anybody. It was all for the preacher. It's just for me. I mean, I, I listened to him, and, and I wrote down. He, he said, 
If you're walking through a difficulty and it's hard, you just have to get up and go forward in Jesus and Jesus alone. When people say to you that your teaching is not very deep and you feel like they've been treading on you, just get up and keep teaching. When you feel like that you just can't go, just get up and take another step and God will go with you and He will give you strength. I wrote it down, closed my Bible, walked out the door. I said, I got what I needed. I couldn't stay all day for the conference. I had to come to another. But God had David. If I had just sat on my blessed assurance at the house, I would have missed the exhortation. But I heard the word of the Lord. Man, it sparked my soul. I got up ready to go again. You see, when you walk through the chaos, you need the response of exhortation. There's a second thing Paul shows us here. Not only do you need exhortation, you need friendship. It's the response of friendship. Notice what happened in verse number 3. They spent three months and a plot was formed against him by the Jews as they were about to set sail for Syria. So he decided not to get on the ship. They were going to, <laughs> they were fixing to make a Jonah out of Paul without a fish. <laughs> so if you're going to be a Jonah, you've got to have a fish. Well, Paul was fixing to be Jonah, but they didn't have a fish. <laughs> And so he decided not to get on the boat. He's going to walk. And so he decided to return through Macedonia, stayed on land. And he was, at a, he was accompanied by seven people that went on in front of him. And they're listed right here. Look at them. They'll pop up on the screen for you. Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus. There they are. Those seven people. They had gone on ahead in verse 5. And they waited for us at Troas. Six weird names here. Sopater. Don't name your son Sopater. I wouldn't name, name my cat Sopater. But it was a name that popular name. It was okay then, just not in our culture. Soper is the only time this Sopater is mentioned in the Bible is in this verse. Aristarchus. Secundus. The only time Secundus is mentioned right here in this verse. The only time you find him in the Bible. Gaius, that's a little better. Timothy, we know that and we pass that around. Tim Hunter's up here baptizing today. Tychicus. Who named your kid Tychicus? I guess a kid's got a tick. I don't know. That's it. Trophimus or Trophimus, however you would say it. Here's these seven guys. Dear friends, they got... Let me tell you, you need friendship to get you through the storm and pick you up after the storm so you can set sail again. Aristarchus in Colossians 4.10, he was the fellow prisoner. He was in jail with Paul. Now, there's a friend sticking with you, amen? Secundus, only time you hear it. Gaius in Romans 16.23, he was the host to Paul and the church in Berea. Berea. The Bereans were the people who loved the Scriptures. Amen. And Gaius was one of those. Timothy, we know him. He was Paul's fellow worker according to Romans 16, verse 21. We know him as Paul and Timothy. Tychicus in Ephesians 6 and 21, he was a beloved brother and a faithful minister with Paul. So says Ephesians 6, 21. Paul said, here is my beloved brother, my faithful minister who stuck with me. And then Trophimus, Trophimus. I had a whole sermon on him I used to preach. 
I used to just preach on trophies. It was back uh, during the days of the Jesus movement. I was a young preacher, and I preached a whole sermon because there was a, a group of folks who said, if you just have enough faith, anybody can get well, and nobody should be sick because if you are sick, you're not walking by faith, and therefore if you have sickness, you're, you're in unbelief. If you just believe enough, you can get well. Well, that's not true. Trophimus, in 2 Timothy 4.20, this was my sermon. Paul said about Trophimus, I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. He went on and left him sick. If anybody had enough faith to make somebody well, be the apostle Paul, amen? But he couldn't even make him well. He left him there. Something about Trophimus and his sticking with it even through sickness. Who is his friend? You need to be a friend. You need to be in a small group in this church. You, you need to know folks that will befriend you and you can befriend them. You need to serve others. You need to communicate with friends. Phone call, text, a note, walk next door, knock on the door. Just small tasks. I had a funeral not long ago and a family came and said, Pastor, our, our next door neighbor's we looked up and, and they were out pulling weeds in our yard. They were cleaning up the yard. <laughs> I thought, well, praise the Lord. These are just the small tasks that friends do. One of my dearest friends is in this service today. Dr. Vernon Whaley, who is the, uh, I got it right here. He, he is the assistant provost let me tell you, Vernon Whaley doesn't even know what provost means. I guarantee you that. <laughs> Nineteen ninety-seven, I walked through the most difficult year of ministry I ever had in my life. I needed somebody to help me in this church be the minister of music, and I walked over here in the office and. One of the secretaries looked at me and said, I know a guy that might help you. I said, okay, who? He said, it's a guy, Vernon Whaley, Dr. Vernon Whaley. I knew him over here in Georgia. Jackie Beck said, won't you call him? I said, okay, I did. And so I called him. He came, stayed with us a year. He flew in from Cedarville every weekend. We had choir on the weekend. I would not stand here today as your pastor had Vernon not come and been here for that year. I wouldn't have made it. God sent him here for all of us, but he sent him here for me. And he became my dear friend. He went on back to Cedarville and taught. And we had another minister of music, and then he left. And all the people started, call Vernon, call Vernon, call Vernon. I said, well, we'll find, we'll find what we need. And so I picked up the phone. and said, you want to come? He said, well, let's talk. I said, all right. I said, but if you come here, everybody's going to see you. They're going to know we're talking. So I said, tell you what, dude, from Cedarville, you fly to Fort Walton Beach. And I'll, I'll come to Fort Walton. I'll meet you in Fort Walton. Nobody sees. But we can have a secret meeting. And so I did, and I waited for him to get off the plane. And as he was coming off the plane, guess who was there? W-E-A-R-3, Pensacola, Florida, ABC affiliate. They were doing a story on the... Fort Walton Airport, and they were filming just some people getting off the plane. Guess who they filmed coming off the plane? <laughs> Two people. 
some guy I never knew, and another guy that I know well. I went, we met in a little church over there in the back room in a Sunday school room and talked about if he came or didn't come. I got back and my phone started ringing. Vernon's coming for I said, how are you? No, he's not here. So I saw him on the news. He's here. I said, no, he ain't not here. And he wasn't here. He's in Fort Walton. He came and stood by my side, and I wouldn't be here today without him. My phone rang one day, and Dr. Jerry Falwell called me. I'd never had Dr. Falwell call me before. He said, I'd like your permission to talk to Vernon Whaley about coming to Liberty University. <laughs> and I remember I chuckled, and I said, Doc, you've never asked permission for anything. I said, when is my minister of music leaving and coming to Lynchburg? He said, well, we were planning on next month, if that was all right. And uh, I was right. The old prophet never asked. He just told us. And Vernon went there and built this phenomenal building and more than that, a phenomenal ministry and just became my friend. And we've been friends. We just touch base every now and again. But when he got sick, I prayed for him. When I get down, he prayed for me. Oh, you need friends. Pastor, I don't know if I have a friend. Well, if you want one, be one. That's how you get friends. Be a friend, you make a friend. Get in a small group. Serve others. Communicate, talk, spend time, write a note. You never know when that person is going to be going through the fire and you can be their friend or you're walking through it and they'll be yours. How did Paul respond? He responded with exhortation. How did he respond? He responded with friendship. How did he respond? Thirdly, he responded with holiness. Holiness, holiness, holiness. Look look at it right here in verse number five. But these uh, had gone on ahead and were waiting at Troas. Verse six, we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days. The days of unleavened bread. Paul was a rabbi. He was coming out of that Jewish background. He knew the days of unleavened bread. Now listen to me. Look, look right here. Passover, Passover. When, you remember the death angel passed over, over in Exodus. Well, they would celebrate Passover. And the next day after Passover began the feast of unleavened bread. And for seven days, seven days, after Passover, the Jewish people would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They did no laborious work. They did very little things. And they ate nothing of leaven because leaven was seen as the symbol of evil. And you were to rid your life of everything that was not of God. And that was just their uh, symbol of it and it became that that they had to function in seven days of the attitude they needed and the discipline not to have that in their life. We don't celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread today. We're not supposed to. We are not Jewish. We follow the Jewish Messiah. But he has fulfilled all of the Old Testament law. And Paul himself, here he's a rabbi and he references this, these days. They didn't travel. They stayed right there for seven days. He went with them through the feast of unleavened bread. Didn't eat any leavened bread. But when you read the Bible in 1 Corinthians 5 Verse 6, look at this, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Here's what Paul said regarding leaven. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. 
your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? So when they would leaven their bread, they, they would always take a piece off and keep it. Then when they got ready to have more bread, they would take that little piece, put it in, and it would leaven the whole lump. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Verse 7, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Jesus is the Passover. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one that died. Therefore, verse 8, let us Celebrate the feast, the feast, the white feast, the feast of unleavened bread, but not, we don't celebrate with old leaven, nor with the leaven with malice and wickedness, but how do we celebrate? Look at it right here in verse number eight, with sincerity and truth. That's how you celebrate. Paul had gone through that, and now he is saying for us, Jesus is the Passover. You are to celebrate with sincere faith and truth. Take the truth of the Word of God and the sincerity of your soul and put those together, and you will be holy, holy, holy. Remove from your life that that is wicked, that that is malicious, that that is of being seen, not of faith. You remove the leaven. The holiness of God comes with sincerity and truth. The word sincere, one of my favorite, favorite words in Latin, when you sign your letter sincerely, yours means without wax. Lizzie's stepfather taught me that years ago. He was a, a brilliant man. He said, you know, Latin means sincere without wax. Means I said, well, what's that mean? He said, well, they'd have a pot. If it was without wax, it was sincere. I mean, it had no cracks in it. But if it was not sincere, they had put wax in the crack and painted it over. I said, oh, our Baptists are supposed not to be, or we're not supposed to be crackpots. Is that what that means? He said, that's exactly what it means. You're not supposed to have damage within your life and something that you're hiding. Be truthful, be sincere, be the real deal, not covered over and wearing a mask and being a hypocrite. But be real. I said, that's it. And so we are to be holy in action and holy in our association because he goes on in verse number 9 and 10. Uh, he says to not associate with the immoral people, but he goes on to say, I do not mean the immoral people of the world. He said, I mean don't associate with the immoral people of the faith. you got to associate with the immoral people of the world to do evangelism. But he says, those that are inside the church and they are wicked and immoral, he said, you don't deal with it. Oh, don't run with that crowd. But you walk in sincerity and you walk in truth. Be holy, holy, holy. It is Christ in us, the Holy Spirit of God in us and through us. So the power of God is demonstrated in our life and through our life. We must have this response of being holy. Amen. Today I... Uh, I wear a ring that I only wear once a year. This is my father's wedding band. Four years ago today, my father died. I was preaching at the First Baptist Church, Yazoo City, Mississippi. 
phone rang. Kathy Griffith, my good friend from Pisgah, who worked on as a paramedic, she said, Ted, we have your father in the backyard at your house. He has fallen off the lawnmower, and we can't get a pulse. She said, I'll call you later to give you more. About an hour later, she called me to say, I don't, he's just not going to make it. He was 94, cutting grass. What a great way to go. He wasn't in the Alzheimer's unit. He's cutting grass. He's doing what he liked to do. Failed dead. I told him not to do it, but he did anyway. So I drove from Mississippi to Alabama. And when I got there, Rex Cresswell was sitting with my mother and my aunt and uncle. He's my best friend in high school. See, these students think all of these kids are going to be their friends. They're not. They're going to be acquaintances and that kind of thing. But there's one or two of these folks that will stick with you through thick and thin. Rex and I graduated in 72 together, had our 50th anniversary not long ago. And he told me a few years back, he said, one day your daddy's going to die and I'll be sitting here with your mama till you can get here from Florida. I walked in there at midnight after having driven from Yazoo City all across Mississippi, Alabama. Up to the mountain, I walked in and there sat Rex holding my mama's hand. You need a friend like that. You need to be a friend like that. And today I remember my best friend, Mr. Trailer. God called me to preach. I was 17 years old, Rosalie Baptist Church. I knelt in a little altar and said, God, I'll go anywhere, do anything, give up anybody, give up anything. Order to be in the center of your will. You call me to preach, I'm ready to do it. I walked home that night, walked in. Daddy was brushing his teeth in the back bedroom. I walked through. I said, Dad, I surrendered. To God's call to ministry tonight. And I got the greatest word of counsel I've ever received. i never forget it. He took a toothbrush, just dropped it in the sink. Reached over and got a towel off that holder. And wiped his mouth. He said, well boy. If you know what God wants you to do. You better get about doing it. That's the greatest piece of advice I've ever received, Philip. If you know what you ought to do, you ought to get about doing it. He didn't mean tomorrow. He meant right now. Hmm. Years would roll by and I'd go to school and he'd give me my second piece of advice. I came home one afternoon and I said, Daddy, I'm, I'm going this weekend. and I'm going to ask Liz to marry me. He said, do you think she'll say yes? I said, well, I think she will. He said, you better go right now before she changes her mind. That's the second piece of advice I got from my daddy. So I moved it up a little bit. I said, man, we better go for something messes up here. If you got a friend, that'll tell you the truth. And not give up on you.
You better kneel down and make an altar and thank God. His friend, the way you get through the chaos, when you pass through the storm, is you hear the exhortation of the Word of God. You have a friend that sticks with you, that tells you, get holy. It doesn't matter what this world is. You get right with God, and Jesus will see you through. Some other people may give up on you. They may leave you, but you need to be holy, holy, holy. And if you walk in holiness, the hand of God will be on you. He'll touch you and see you through. Say, preacher, is it easy? Easy? No. Nothing worth it's easy. Where's Paul headed? To the Caribbean for a cruise? He's headed to a Roman dungeon cell. He's headed to death to die for Jesus. How does anybody get out of the teachings of Paul? A prosperity gospel. They cut his head off. Kill him. But he looked up. Standing at the right hand of the Father. You know when Stephen was stoned. The Bible says he looked up and Jesus was standing. He's normally sitting. But when Stephen died... Jesus stood to welcome home the martyr because he had walked holy, holy, holy. You say, preacher, I'm not holy. I'm not what I ought to be. Well, then go to 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of sin, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He, He washes and cleanses. White as snow. Come in confession and watch him forgive. You say, well, the wor- friend, the world may not forgive. I don't know what the world will do to you. But I'm here to tell you Jesus stands there with his arms saying, come, child, come. Come, come. And I receive you. I receive you. The call of God is to that, to confession, to holiness. Well, we've all walked through a crisis, my Lord Jesus. But then God sees us through. We sat over here at the widow's banquet yesterday. There was a lady that spoke to them. I'd never met her. She said, if you're going to make it through after your spouse, your husband dies, you need six people at your table. And she began to tell us who those six are. You need an economic advisor and you need this. But then she said, you need a friend that will be honest with you. She said, you need somebody to look at you and say, you don't look good in that. (laughs) She said, I'd put on a good bit of weight, and I didn't look too good in some of that stuff. I remember one of our sweet ladies that was here several years ago. She was a large lady. She said, oh, I used to love to see these little girls wearing all this stuff. She said, you know, if you're... If you look good, you flaunt it. She said, if you're big, you drape it. That's what she said. (laughs) I'll never forget her saying that. But then she said, most of all, it's the beauty of the heart. It's right here. Right here. Right here. 
holy, holy, holy. I'm going to see my daddy one day. Looking forward to that. Glory to God. Amen. I just wonder what they know over there. Don't you wonder sometimes? Can they see? Do they pray? Do they? And some of you are going to come up to me and tell me after all, don't be so stupid. You don't know. I've read this book too. So, well, there's a cloud of witnesses. Yes, there's a cloud. But what are they witnessing? So if they see me when I hurt and they're going to make them cry, but the Bible says there's no tears in heaven. See, you don't understand either. We walk by faith till we get on the other side. Bless God, I'm ready to go. Are you? Amen. You ready to transfer? He says, I'm, I want to go just not on the next load. Okay, I understand that. But, uh, friend, you better be ready, ready, ready. You never know when the call's coming in your life. You're going through the crisis. Find exhortation, find friendship. Let's walk holy till Jesus comes. I'm going to pray, and John will play. We're going to make our appeal. I'm going to invite you to come out of that balcony. Take you a minute, so just come on while I'm praying down these stairwells. On that side, just come on. On the ground floor, you can come. We just fall here before the Lord. Say, Lord, we give you our life this day. Father, in Jesus' name, draw people to yourself. Grow your church. Lord, weed out sin from our life. That that we've not surrendered. Lord, put your finger on that today. Help us to go singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God from this place. Draw people, I pray. On our feet all over this room, singing I surrender all. God's calling, you're coming. That's it right now. Unto the Lord, unto the Savior, you come. Amen.